It's eight minutes after five o'clock here on this Saturday morning. Good morning to you, Orion Samuelson, your host with you on our Saturday morning show. That's our weekly get-together to talk about the most basic industry on the planet, producing food and fiber and fuel and everything else that farmers and ranchers and produce producers are able to share with us every day of the year. And, of course, we continue with uh, the uh, coronavirus situation and uh, the latest uh, count worldwide, and I get that every morning when I come in, but worldwide coronavirus cases cross 34,530,000, and the death toll from the pandemic is now past the 1 million mark on the planet, a million twenty six thousand one hundred fifty one deaths uh, caused by the coronavirus, and of course, the White House is involved. The president is involved as it continues to spread around the world, and we continue to keep count on that. We uh, have a chilly morning in some parts of the Midwest. Uh, I would guess there is some frost on the vine and on the windshield this morning, but uh, I think that would be in the lower valleys of the Midwest farming area. I know at my house here in Huntley, Illinois, the uh, temperature stands at 44 degrees at the moment, but there are some low spots in the Midwest where the temperature is down around the freezing mark. So if your tomato plants are still producing, I would guess in the lower areas of the country, you'd want to keep them covered because it's uh, chilly and uh, could get chillier. So the um, forecast is uh, for some rain later on today. And uh, But that'll be scattered, and uh, I don't think we'll see some heavy uh, downpours. And uh, from the standpoint of uh, the uh, harvest, I think maybe it'll be dry enough that a lot of harvesting can be done yet today and tomorrow. But uh, no question that we're moving quickly into that time of the year when frost will become a challenge. Farmers markets, yeah, they're still going in many communities. And uh, I know in uh, our Huntley Farmers Market, it continues on. But as I've said all this fall, be sure to follow the protocols that have been established for going to farmers markets. Number one, don't bring your pets. That's been normal, it seems like, over the many years. We've enjoyed the bounty of our agriculture at farmers markets. But uh, uh, something else that uh, sort of irritates me when I go to a farmers market are people who pick up sweet corn ears and peel back the husks to look to see if they're, I don't know what, if they think they're okay. But don't do that because it then exposes the uh, kernels on the ear to the air and they begin maturing or uh, continuing to uh, deteriorate once they've been pulled back. So uh, just leave the husks where they are because pulling them back won't tell you if the sweet corn is ready to enjoy for you. 
So uh, those are some of the uh, safeguards that we are following during this COVID-19. My golly, I've called this the summer of postponements and cancellations. For example, this week I would be at Madison, Wisconsin for World Dairy Expo. But that's not happening this year. They are holding some of the activities, but they're doing it virtually. But uh, you won't find cows in the barns and you won't find cows in the show ring because of the COVID-19 situation. But that's just one of the many events during this unusual summer that we've experienced. And uh, the uh, other event that's coming up that uh, we're not going to be experiencing, the National FFA Convention in Indianapolis. That will normally be held uh, during the month of October, toward the end of the month, and uh, there would normally be probably uh, 60,000 FFA members and their blue jackets roaming the streets of Indianapolis and filling the Lucas Oil Stadium for the many events and activities they have. But the state FFA conventions have been done virtually, and the national FFA convention will be the same. So we cope with it and hope that uh, next summer we won't have to go through the cancellations of county fairs and state fairs and farm progress shows and Ohio Farm Science Review and the Big Iron Show up in North Dakota, the Sunbelt Expo down in uh, Moultrie, Georgia. Just a lot of things that normally would be happening that haven't happened this year. So I keep saying I hope I never go through another summer like this, postponements and cancellations. I want to talk a little bit about what that has meant to communities, because county fairs, state fairs, and the other activities attract a lot of people. That means the restaurants are busy, and that means the uh, fairgrounds are busy, the vendors who many of them are family events and they make their uh, years living at uh, county fairs or state fairs as vendors. So all of that and the many other activities that raise money for the organizations and for the people who live in the community. Uh, Some county fairs and state fairs, I'm sure, will be facing financial challenges uh, next year, and other events will be facing financial challenges. So let's hope that we're able to overcome those challenges and One of the things that uh, I have tried to do, and I know many of you have, is uh, send a check to the organization that you support in agriculture and out of agriculture to compensate for the money they haven't made from attendance at events that they haven't been able to hold. We're at 15 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. It's Orion Samuelson with you. Max Armstrong will be joining us a little bit later. Mike Pearson will be with us to talk about markets. And Jim Fazell will be here yet, not much longer this growing season, but he'll be here today to talk about what you can do in the 
gardening uh, in the garden as the gardening season comes to an end for some of you who have gotten a little bit frosty this morning. So uh, Jim Fazell standing by and he'll be joining us when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. I like the headline on the note sheet that Jim Fazell sent me. He said, fall is here but there's still a lot to do in the garden. So what are we going to do, Jim? Well, there are a lot of things to do in the garden, as a matter of fact. And uh, this is the time when we uh, we finish up a lot of things. But, you know, uh, whether it's in gardening or farming, harvest time. Fall is harvest time. And even if we've harvested earlier, this is the time when we really make the best of the end of it and um, get the things out of the garden that, that we need for the winter or that we want to, to process to put up for the winter and so forth. First of all, if you did lawn repairs a couple of weeks ago, as we suggested, that seed should be up and germinated, and actually ours is up and we're we're mowing it. Uh, you need to keep watering it if you do need water, but we did get some water this, this past week. I hope we get some more as needed. Uh, and keep mowing. One of the things you want to do with this new grass is to mow it when it get up, gets up to mowing height, because that helps it spread. It helps it make more tillers within this clump so that you get good coverage immediately. And the leaves are starting to fall. I know some of the trees, uh, it's amazing. Some trees have have finished and some trees are still green. But the honey locusts are falling right now. Fortunately, these little leaflets that come off of them don't really cause a lot of trouble because they do uh, kind of filter down within the grass and they help add to the organic matter in the soil without us having to do anything. But the bigger leaves are going to begin falling, and in fact, some are. Um, We need to keep raking them up as they come down to keep them from smothering the lawn. Rake them up, put them in the compost heap. Uh, uh, You can use them as mulches around your garden on some of the things that do need mulching. Uh, I don't suggest you leave them or put them into the into the um, organic matter or the gardening recycler if you can avoid that. But if that's the last choice, that's what you have to do. And of course, those people that collect all this organic matter to recycle, uh, they do that. They compost it, and it comes back in the in the form of shredded compost and so forth that you can buy and put on, back on your lawn. But uh, shred the leaves and leave them on the lawn if you can. If you have a power mower, you set that thing on uh, uh, so that it doesn't, does not discharge the, the grass. Uh, this is the mulching setting on the mower. And uh, just shred the leaves and leave them on the lawn. If they're shredded up very finely, they will filter back down into the grass, and they'll add, also add to the organic matter. Out in the garden, uh, keep picking the veggies. Now, we've had a little bit of frost in some of our areas. In fact, uh, this morning there's a little bit of frost out there. Uh, If you folks that were listening put the bed sheets or blankets out on your tomatoes and so forth, they should be fine because within a couple of days we're going to get temperatures back up into the 70s, and things will keep right on growing. Pick the veggies as you need to. Now, uh, we have some kind of a critter back in our garden that's picking the tomatoes for us, so uh, we're going out and picking them as soon as they begin begin to turn pink. If you're having a trouble with squirrels or raccoons or whatever, getting your tomatoes before you do, or your sweet corn before you do, um, you really need to keep an eye on that and pick it as soon as you can. Sweet corn has to be left on until it's sweet, but the tomatoes can be picked as soon as they're pink. You can set them in the house or in the basement for a couple of weeks, and they'll turn nice and red for you because, really, the plant itself has done about as much as it can with those when they begin turning pink. 
Uh, keep the veggies growing. I mentioned that before. It's about It can be another several weeks until we get a killing frost, and that will take things out like the tomatoes and the peppers and so forth. Uh, fortunately, well, there's some things that actually can stand a frost, and, and they get sweeter if you leave them uh, growing. Uh, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, any of the cold crops, if you leave those on, even if they get a little bit of frosting, makes them sweeter. They're better quality. Uh, in fact, some of these can be kept uh, even without protection well into October, through October, and often in, into November. And we've picked broccoli for Thanksgiving in some years. Can't do it every year, but there are years when the weather is mild enough that we can do that. And the red crops, too, carrots, parsnips, uh, turnips. Anybody still grow rutabagas? I don't know, but we always hear people that are. Uh, any of these root crops can be kept in the ground. You need to protect them to keep them from freezing by mulching them in. But they do get sweeter. The longer you leave them in the ground, the better tasting they are. They are. Uh, actually, parsnips. I really do like parsnips that have been picked in November, pulled, uh, dug up in November because they are sweet as honey. Really tasty at that time of year. Now, if you can't mulch them to keep them from freezing, we do have folks that have made beds of sand. Maybe the old sandbox. Uh, you can dig these roots and you can heal them in the sand and then mulch them with straw to keep that from freezing because it's a lot easier to pull them out of the sand than it is to dig them out of the frozen ground. Then the rest of the, the garden, after you've taken care of these vegetables and so forth, begin to pull out the spent vegetables, things that are no longer producing, and your annual flowers that have, that have uh, uh, finished their thing. You need to trim off the tops of the perennials, too. Uh, things like uh, uh, we have goldstrom that, um, that is beautiful in the summer. It's uh, uh, Rebecca that is beautiful in the summer, but it, it finishes early. It's done now, whereas some of the other stuff is still blooming. All these things need to be pulled off, cut off and put into your compost pile one of the things i like to do in the garden i've been doing this for years is to dig out one of my vegetable beds we have beds that are three and a half feet wide 25 feet long dig one of these out now you need to use some of that soil to cover your roses up later so dig these out pile the soil on one side of the bed or if you can't take the whole bed out dig half of it and put the soil on the other half now, actually, we suggest taking that first layer out, then digging another layer so you're two spades deep. Put this soil on top of the other soil that you have out of the bed, and that's the place where you're going to put all this stuff that you're taking out of the garden, the leaves and the, shred and the vegetable uh, tops and the old annuals and so forth. And this is a place where you can pile that stuff all winter, and you'll make use of that next year. You're going to put the topsoil back in on top of that, and that will improve the soil down at that level in your garden. And it's amazing when you have soil that's two spades depth with a lot of organic matter in it, how much better things do grow. Uh, turn the soil in the rest of the garden uh, as soon as it begins to open up and leave it rough for the winter so that the winter snow and, and rain will, will mellow it. Um, another thing that we can do at this time of year, even though it's a little bit late for it, we still have a lot of fall left. You can plant up the flower borders with mums or icicle pansies, which incidentally may make it through the winter if we have good snow cover. Uh, flowering kale or cabbage, they both can stand good frost, just the same as the, as the coals that you eat. And uh, if you haven't done so already, be sure you plant up the last of your spring flowering bulbs. Uh, if, you, if you leave them until spring, they're not going to do very well. They're going to shrivel, shrivel over the winter. And next year they're going to grow, but they're not going to make flowers, so you're going to miss a year. Well, anyway, with the cool mornings this week and uh, some of the areas already having a frost, time is short. 
So we need to take advantage of all the good days that we do have and get out and, and enjoy this fall. You know, folks that live in other parts of the country, like our grandkids in Florida and our kids in Texas, they don't have these beautiful falls that we have in this part of the country. It's hot down there still. Uh, it won't be very long, and they'll have a couple of weeks of mild weather, and then it gets icy. I wouldn't want to live in those parts of the country. I like this part of the country. Bless you folks that do go down there. But anyway, we want to stay here in the Chicago area and enjoy these beautiful days that we have now. But time is short, so get out and enjoy them when you can. And is Jane baking apple pies from the Kickapoo Valley apple trip that you made? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the house smells like apples this morning because yesterday she spent the afternoon, when she got home from work, there are two beautiful apple pies sitting in the kitchen, one for us and one for some friends of ours. Um, <laughs> if you were closer, Orion, we'd bring one to you. <laughs> well, I would Maybe appreciate it. Yeah. But uh, you go ahead and enjoy the apple pies and everything else that Jane is making from your trip. So. We will do that. It, that's uh, a wonderful bounty of nature. And uh, um, actually, next week, we're going to talk about uh, the fall colors that are beginning to come on, why we have them and how they develop. Um, when we were up there in the Kickaboo, it was just starting up there. And I suspect by now it's pretty well on its way. Beautiful time of year to get out and see those colors, too. If you know a place that you, that you enjoy, um, the Forest Preserve or some of the arboretums around here or someplace along the Mississippi River where you can see the leaves turning color take advantage to go out and do that now well if you're going to talk about colors and why they happen and how they happen next week that's good because i've had uh, several inquiries about why do leaves turn from green to the colors they do so i take it you will explain that to us next week that's what we plan to do you bet Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here with us on the Saturday Morning Show. We are at 28 minutes after 5 o'clock, and the temperature on my thermometer on my back patio at Huntley, Illinois, right outside the studio, still stands at 44 degrees. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have frost on the windshield this morning because it's getting cooler in many of those low spots. The uh, program to fight uh, farm accidents, National Farm Safety and Rural Health Week, uh, took place just a couple of weeks ago. But we are approaching another week that is important, whether you're a farmer or not. Uh, Max Armstrong will be joining us in uh, a few minutes here on the Saturday Morning Show to talk about National Fire Prevention Week that gets underway. And uh, we're going to talk about the things you and I need to do to keep that from happening, particularly in rural communities. But Max, has been active as a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter for years. And so we'll turn to him for some news on the National Fire Prevention Week and hope that uh, an accidental fire does not hit your combine as you're harvesting or your grain bins or your other buildings on the farm because whether you live in the farm or the city fires can be devastating oh and we do have a tropical storm 
In the Gulf of Mexico, near the Yucatan Peninsula, there is a uh, a tropical storm that could be formed into a uh, hurricane. So we're keeping an eye on that because, as I've said many times, storms in the Gulf can often move up into the Midwest following the Mississippi. So we'll keep an eye on that. We're at the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday morning show, and that means it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and I'm talking about some of the challenges that we do have at harvest time, but one of the challenges is bugs. So I'll talk about bugs when I continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. The subject of this week, Samuelson says, is bugs, B-U-G-S. The subject was submitted by a listener who sent an email wondering if farmers, ranchers, and food producers do anything to enhance the habitat of helpful bugs, the pollinators, like bees, honeybees, and the monarch butterfly, that colorful insect that we enjoy seeing during the end of the summer season. Well, the answer to that question is yes. Farmers are the original conservationists, whether it is helpful bugs, soil, water, or air. Without conservation, they simply won't survive. So let me talk a little bit more about the monarch butterfly, because that is an interesting insect that is colorful to see in your backyard. But there are some suggestions from the Environmental Protection Agency to make and preserve and enhance the habitat for monarch butterflies. Here are those EPA rules. Number one, avoid application of bee-toxing pesticides during the blooming season. Number two, make any pesticide applications in the evening when pollinators are less active in foraging for what they need. And number three, check the wind conditions prior to pesticide application. All of that will help to preserve and enhance the habitat of the bugs that we need to pollinate, the food that eventually winds up on our dinner table. So yes, back to the question, the answer is yes, farmers and ranchers and food producers are conservationists and are working hard to get food safely to your dinner table. So... Join me in saying thank you to all of them, and every day I say thank you to the people who produce us with all of the food that shows up in the supermarket. I continue to thank them and salute those producers. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group at uh, 23 minutes before 6 o'clock. This week, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue spent a day in Wisconsin, just a few miles north of Illinois, and in his comments at a farmer town hall meeting yesterday, 
The secretary said China may fall short of annual agricultural production and product purchasing commitments made in that phase one trade deal with the United States due to, quote, non-agricultural trade issues. Secretary said, I'm not sure they're going to make it. But they are trying. He said that during a town hall meeting with farmers at Edge Dairy Farm Cooperative. Non-agricultural trade issues, said the secretary, tend to get in the way. China committed to importing $36.5 billion in U.S. farm products this year in that trade deal that was signed in January, but lagging purchases during the first half of the year cast some doubt on the goal of increasing imports by more than 50% over the levels that we saw in 2017. Now, it's not clear which issues Purdue believed were obstacles to the agreement because a series of hurdles have emerged since the phase one deal was implemented, including a threatened U.S. ban on popular Chinese-owned social media app TikTok and an executive order that uh, was signed by President Trump ending preferential economic treatment for Hong Kong. Chinese imports of U.S. agricultural products totaled just $8.6 billion from January through July, and that's according to the latest U.S. Census trade data. Buying has accelerated considerably in August and September, including about 12 million tons of soybeans and 4 million tons of corn. That's according to USDA figures. But the secretary did talk about it uh, during his visit. He not only visited a production farm, but also an agricultural equipment company during his one-day trip to Wisconsin this week. 20 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Time to talk markets agriculturally, and for that, we check in with uh, our friend Mike Pearson. Let's turn our attention to the markets to help us make sense of what's going on. Darren Newsom from Darren Newsom Analysis is joining us. And Darren, when we take a look at this past week, midweek, we got a little bit of a surprise when USDA released their quarterly grain stocks and showed corn stockpiles down considerably from a year ago. Was that a surprise to you? No, not really. Uh, you know, and it's always fun to kind of watch these quarterly stocks reports play out. Yeah, you know, USDA came in at what I think something like 1.995, just slightly below 2 billion bushels, down from its own estimate of about what, 225 or something like that in its September round of supply and demand. So I think that's really what gets everybody all worked up. If they've been watching future spreads, if they've been watching basis in the cash market, this really wouldn't have caught them by surprise. In fact, based on my analysis of the cash market, what I see is that really USDA is still about 250 million bushels too large. They're overestimating ending stocks by about 250 million bushels. So this is a consistent thing. This is systematic that we've seen over the last three to four years, running about that three to 400 million bushels uh, above what the reality of the situation is. It's just always kind of fun to watch the reaction when it happens in a quarterly stocks report. Yeah, and the reaction can be very swift, and it can certainly take people by surprise. We saw the December corn contract push up above 380 this week. Darren, is $4 in the cards for December corn? You know, it could be because 
of the fall crops, uh, the one that got hit the, the hardest, the one that I still think looks the strongest is corn. Uh, you know, it's got it's got a really it's got a strong move going on here. We've got buying coming in from the right side, from from the commercial side to lead this what lead the lead the way. Non-commercials have built up a, a, a large net long futures position, so we do have buying coming from every angle. But what I really like about the market right now is basis is holding strong despite the fact that harvest is going on, that we continue to see harvest progress. I don't think the yield are there. Uh, I think we're going to see as we get into this thing, the production is going to keep production guesses are going to keep getting trimmed. And that would really fit with what the narrative of the market is, what the cash market's actually showing us at this point. Well, and Darren, you mentioned harvest is underway. We're seeing combines starting to roll. We're just starting to get some yield reports out. But a lot of growers are uncertain about what's in the field. As we watch this rally over this past week and perhaps heading into the future, how aggressive should growers be getting corn sold ahead of harvest? Well, knowing U.S. producers don't like to sell corn, and given the fact that there's still a little care in the future spreads, if we look at the Deese March or all the way out to the Deese July forward curve, we still see a little bit of carry. So that's you know that's going to invite them to put the corn on in on farm storage and just hold it for a while. See if we continue to see basis appreciate. Let's remember seasonally basis tends to appreciate up through about the third week of February when all of a sudden we've got the next South American crop to deal with. So I think we're going to see them stick uh, stick you know the bushels in the on farm uh, storage. They will sell anything that's left over, but I don't think that's going to ha- I don't think that's really going to hit the market all that hard. Okay. All right. So this will be we'll see it in uh, late December, February, I think is when you were mentioning we could see prices come back down. Well, that's when we could start to see some basis weakness. Uh, you know, it could be towards the end of this year if we see a lot of, uh, of sales uh, getting ready for the next year or possibly into March. We saw the wheat market go crazy midweek. What happened? That's a great question. I have no idea. Uh, it was an explosive rally. If, we, if people want to tie it to quarterly stocks, it wasn't quarterly stocks. Uh, the U.S. dollar index also showing that it's going that's establishing a long-term uptrend now for no reason whatsoever, but it looks like the dollar's going to go higher. There really wasn't anything out there that should have sparked this 30, 40 cent rally and so excuse me, in wheat. Yet we got it. And so, you know, if I'm a, I'm a producer, if I'm happening to hold anything left over uh, from last year's crop, from the 2020 crop, I'm selling it. I also heard a lot of merchandisers telling me they were getting some new crop, 2021 winter wheat sold yesterday as well. So, you know, a lot of selling going on in this market. Really, I don't know what pushed it 30 to 40 cents higher, but it's a nice little gift. You need to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Feed the bull when you can. And similar story going on in the soybean market. Same as corn and wheat. We saw a pop midweek after the quarterly grain stocks. Darren, we saw November soybeans come close to 1050 just a few weeks ago, and they missed it. Are we going to get close this time around? You know, we, we could get close. I'm, I'm not convinced that the, I know there's everybody wants to sing the song that, you know, uh, soybeans rallied on, on the quarterly stocks number. I really don't think that was it. I think what happened was we got past the last bearish hurdle from 2019-20 when USDA could have really surprised with like a seven 800 million bushel number. It didn't happen. And now the focus is how dry it's getting in Brazil. And that's the big issue right now. So as long as it stays dry in Brazil, as long as we've got commercial buying, uh, you know, we've got no carry in the future spreads, this is going to continue to you push this market higher. Could it hit 1050 again? Yes. I'm actually thinking we could start to see some pressure build, more more cash sales here as harvest goes on in the U.S. Nobody's going to hold soybeans. There's no carry in the market. There's no reason to hold soybeans. They want to hold corn. So they're going to sell cash soybeans. I think we could see some 
good basis coming in the wheat market. I think we could see the uh, the cash market start to break down a little bit, and that should pull the futures lower. Interesting. Darren, when we take a look at this, uh, the past month's rally, a lot of it has been spurred by reports of sales to China. Now, of course, you have mentioned in the past that these are sales for the future. They can yet be canceled. What are your thoughts here on all of China's buying? Does it seem legitimate? Well, it, it's legitimate. They are buying because, you know, they basically ran Brazil out of available soybeans with record shipments over the previous six months. So they've been buying and they've been shipping some from the United States. But they're also building up these stocks, uh, the, these sales that they can pull on if they need them, if there is a weather problem in Brazil. Remember, we're just a secondary supplier. And so they're building up their secondary supplies in case there's a problem with their primary supplier. And given the dry weather we're seeing so far in this spring of South America, you know, it's, it's a real concern. They're comfortable with what they've bought. They'll probably continue still to buy a little bit here and there. The real question, again, will be shipments, not just here over the next couple months, but further down the road. Do we see these sales start to get canceled once Brazil has more supplies available? All right. Well, Darren Newsom from Darren Newsom Analysis. It's the Saturday morning show here on WGN Radio Chicago, something we've been doing for a few years. As a matter of fact, I might comment on that because the announcement I made about two weeks ago that after 60 years at WGN Radio, I'm finally going to retire at the end of this year on December 31st. I'll no longer be doing this Saturday morning show or the other agricultural reports that I've been doing for the past 60 years on WGN. And I have to tell you, I'm overwhelmed by the emails and the notes and the letters I have received from you. And I have to tell you, I'm not going to have the time to respond to each of them, but I do read all of them, and I appreciate very much your kind thoughts about the uh, work I've done on the agricultural community here on WGN Radio for 60 years uh, this last weekend, or this last week. I arrived down here on September 30th. When I say down here, I came down from Green Bay and uh, have enjoyed very much your support as listeners and as friends. So again, let me say at the outset, I'll not have the time to respond to each of those emails, but I do read them all, and I thank you very much for what you've had to say, the very kind words about the work I've done on behalf of agriculture for these uh, six decades. A note uh, this past week that uh, got a little bit of reaction from cattle producers here in the United States. The first shipments of British beef departed for the U.S. last Wednesday. That marks the country's first beef exports to the U.S. market in more than 20 years. According to a statement from the British government, the U.K. beef industry estimates that beef exports will be worth 66 million pounds, or about $83 million U.S. over the next five years. The U.S. imposed a long-standing ban on EU beef. Do you remember that? Back in the wake of the mad cow disease outbreak, 
That happened in 1996. But market access for the UK beef was granted in March of this year. So the British government said that means the sector can now begin to reap the economic benefits of trade with the United States. A British spokesman said this could be just the tip of the iceberg. The free trade deal we are negotiating with the U.S. will create a host of export opportunities for British agriculture, and we are seeking an ambitious and high standards agreement that benefits farmers and delivers for consumers. That according to Britain's International Trade Secretary Liz Truss. The government also said that they aim to raise the international profile and reputation of food and drink from across the um, country of Britain and help more food and drink companies export their products abroad. International Market Development Director Phil Hadley from Britain's Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board said the U.S. represents an important potential market for our red meat exports and today's first shipments is the result of the hard work and the persistence of industry and government to bring about this crucial next step. But it did bring reaction from some of the cattle feeders who uh, listen to us here on WGN Radio who said, why are we buying beef from Britain? Don't we produce more than enough beef to satisfy the market demand here in the U.S.? Well, yes, we do. We do produce enough to handle that demand. But the international trade picture says trade has to go both ways. Can't go just one way. So I guess we'll continue to live with that situation just as we have with soybeans and other agricultural products that we certainly produce enough of. But uh, the trade situation has to go both ways, or it's not trade. We're at seven minutes before six o'clock, and Max Armstrong, uh, well, we'll call him in after this. It's five minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and let's say good morning to Max Armstrong. During Fire Prevention Week each year, Orion, we like to pay tribute to those men and women of the Rural Fire Service, those volunteers, the farmers, the grain elevator operators, the teachers, others who respond in the time of need in rural communities across the country, people like Nick Dingus. Nick is at Sublet, Illinois, at the Volunteer Fire Department there. He also has a company called Dingus Fire Company, and they serve the fire departments of the region in big cities and small towns, too. And I'd visited with Nick the other day talking about the fact that it gets kind of lean sometimes in some of these rural fire departments because they don't have many people there. Not many people, especially in the daytime in town, in some of the communities where folks commute into cities to work. There just aren't many to answer the call. We're very blessed. We have a large Chevrolet dealership here in town, and the folks from Vox and Brothers have been hugely supportive um, of not just our community, but our fire department. Matter of fact, Neil Voss was on for 45 years. But if we get a fire EMS call during the day, they literally empty out their shop. And uh, we're also very lucky to have a number of uh, farmers uh, that come in and both help on the fire and EMS side. So occasionally we might be thin on the initial truck out the door. However, we know all the reinforcements are coming within that first five to six minutes of the call. 
The training regimen is difficult. It's a little more challenging than it used to be, and there's good reason for it, because when you respond, it's almost second nature. When you're trying to help someone out of an automobile or a farm accident, or they've got a fire going in the barn there, uh, but it is a load. It, it does require time, doesn't it? It does, you know, and especially uh, on the EMS side, and we're also seeing the continuing ed happening on the fire side. Uh, we, as, as basic EMTs and also as paramedics, have to put in around 100 hours every four years. And that's just the basic level, in addition to all the other training that we do. Um, so it's, it's difficult for these people to peel off and put at least 25 hours of training annually uh, just to keep up an EMS certification. And now we're seeing that on the fire side where we have to have continuing ed as well. Uh, just to meet the, those basic levels of certification. Most of the f- people volunteer uh, for that sense of uh, community where they can come out and know that they're helping uh, other members of the community, you know, their neighbors, their family, their friends. And, uh, and then to see that gratification come when you're able to help somebody, you know, in their typically their worst day or worst moment um, is reason enough that uh, we keep our roster full. Nick Dingus at Sublight, Illinois, his company, Dingus Fire Company at Amboy, Illinois. He is a third-generation firefighter because his grandfather was and his father, who you know, Orion, Don Dingus, has been active in the fire service in the town of Sublight, too. So we tip our hat, tip our helmet to the firefighters, the rural first responders who volunteer their services. Where would we be without them? We would be in big trouble because, you know, I talked about the work of volunteer firefighters on Samuelson Says a couple of weeks ago when a uh, farmer was caught with a fire on his combine and uh, he suffered a heart attack because of the anxiousness of that fire. But again, rural firefighters got to him and got him to medical help fast enough. So the latest report I've seen on him is that he is slowly recovering from that combine fire that caused his heart attack. So uh, to all of the neighbors and good friends of people in rural communities, the business of uh, neighbors and friends helping other neighbors and friends has been a long-time story in rural communities. Not that they haven't had that kind of uh, support in cities or in suburbs, but uh, the idea of people helping people. And Max Armstrong, a volunteer firefighter, as a matter of fact. He served on the volunteer firefighting group down in Normal, Illinois, and up here in the Chicago area as well. That's our time for this Saturday morning show. Thank you, as always, for joining us to learn more and to talk about the agricultural community that benefits all of us.